When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. Sabrina and I. Sabrina, are you excited? I am so excited. I love Heather. We have Heather Dubrow. Yay! Okay, so what do we say? Wife, mother, actress, podcaster. What am I missing? I don't know. I've written some books. I, I, I don't care. You know what? Human works today. Today, yes. Human <laughs> works. So, okay. So I did your podcast and you got to ask me a bunch of questions. So now I'm flipping the script. Now it's my turn. I love it. Bring it. And it's Sabrina's turn. First of all, your obsession with champagne. Are we drinking <gasps> this early today? Oh my God, we're we were separated at birth. I love champagne too. I love champagne. You know, over pandemic, I've really been experimenting with um, THC gummies. That's nice. kind of been my new thing because I was never really into smoking pot, and you know, I was a singer, and you know, I just didn't. I smoked cigarettes for a long time, crazy, but not pot. It was too harsh for me. Anyway, during pandemic, gummies very interesting to me. But yes, still with the champagne, I just feel like somehow it's pickled me from the inside out. <laughs> and and what's crazy is, you know, my liver works so well, which I always worry about. But that's like the first thing when I get my blood work done. Like I don't care about any markers. So how's my liver function? Oh, good. <laughs> drink on. Pop the cork. We're good. <laughs> well, because Sabrina is a big champagne drinker. Love it, love it, love it. But I've been really trying to pace myself during the pandemic. It's hard. You know, it's interesting. You know those half bottles. Yep. No, I've never, I've never been introduced to a half bottle. I need the whole bottle. Sorry. So my joke with the kids is always like the half bottle. Like I'll show them two of them. I go, do you know that two of these half bottles don't equal a whole bottle, which worked for years. And now they're like, what's the milliliter, mom? I'm like, never mind. (laughs) See, and I can't do, as much as I love champagne, I'm one of those people who gets a really bad headache from champagne. You're not drinking the right stuff, girl. Thank you, Sabrina. I'm drinking the expensive stuff. It still gives me a headache. But are you drinking brute? So here's the whole thing. The thing that gives you a headache in alcohol alcohol, not to sound like the functioning alcoholic I am, but the thing that gives you a headache, no is matter what alcohol, is the sugar, right? right? So whether it's like some crazy blue Hawaiian or even a Cosmo, anything like that can give you a headache. So you have to drink the brute champagne because that's the driest. Are you drinking brute or are you drinking rosé? No, I'm drinking brute. She, oh. No, she wants to rosé all day. She, no, but I'm that's a- wine. I rosé uh, all day with the wine. I'm going to oh, break her in with the brute. I promise. Yeah. I've had the brute. Please. In, in college, we used to drink, remember this one? Frigionet. Remember in the yes. black bottles? Yes. That was like mm. the champagne of choice in college. Well, you know what I remember came out in college too, Melissa? I remember, Sabrina, I don't know how old you are, but Melissa and I are around the same age. She's so, our age. Okay. So remember they came out with the wine in the box? Yep. Mm-hmm. That was when we were in college. I remember because I remember being like on the quad and like some Greek thing happening and all these boxes around with the spigot. 
Yeah. Oh, yes. And then when you could, if, when it was getting empty, you could tip it. Tip it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so classy. We love so, it. So classy. What I didn't know until your podcast is, and I don't know why I didn't put this all together. It's being an actress that brought you to Los Angeles. Yeah. What, I mean, because you were born in New York and lived in Chappaqua and all this. How did you get from New York to L.A.? And don't say on an airplane. No, I would never do that. (laughs) So, um, and it was on an airplane. We didn't drive. But, uh, so what happened was I was a musical theater major at Syracuse and I thought I was going to go to New York and do Broadway. And then I got a couple of episodes of Divorce Court. I got cast. And Wait, as what in divorce court? So I, I, you know what, I have to go back and look, but I remember one of them was like an ex ballerina, agoraphobic lesbian couple, and the other, I was silly, <laughs> something totally crazy. But it was like real divorces, and they would hire actors and do this thing. It was literally the worst acting of my entire life. I can't believe Andy Cohen never pulled this out of the vault. But the producer of Divorce Court was working on something else in LA and they flew me out to LA and put me up at the Beverly Hilton. Wow. And nice. Yeah, nice. I had like lunch at Musso and Frank's and this whole thing. So um, I didn't, that show didn't end up going, but I kind of looked around and was like, I could always go back to New York. So I think I'm going to stay here and just try it out. And I got this agent because I had this tape, you know, from Divorce Court. So I got this agent named Zoltan. You can't make this up. Um, no, you can't. Because Zoltan is always the name of the guy in the fortune teller booth. Yeah, but he was the my great agent. Zoltan. Yeah, the great Zoltan. So he was my agent. He was on Hollywood Boulevard in like this walk up, totally sketch building. And that's what I did. And I sang at Disneyland for a, for like instead of a waitress job. And then I what had a show? Uh, the Golden Horseshoe Jamboree. I played Miss Lily. I had a big blonde wig and I sang there and then I met a guy there and we put together a 14 piece big band and I toured with them for four years and it was a cool it was cool we opened up for like Manhattan Transfer and Mel Torme and Paula Poundstone Dan Cart like all these like cool gigs and that's what I was doing while I was getting better agents and more jobs and then when I finally got like my big break I left which, the band and then right was which back. was your big break I mean I guess my first really like big thing was I had a recurring role on this show on the on the WB called Life with Roger with Mike O'Malley. Mm-hmm. And then my first series regular role was right after that where I was on a show called Jenny with Jenny McCarthy on NBC. It was kind of like- I remember Jenny. Yes, we do. Yeah. And I adore Jenny, but I'm saying, She's- but I remember the show Jenny. Yeah, so I, so I did that. I mean, I was a series regular on a bunch of shows, but the ones you'd probably know would be that one or Stark Raving Mad with Tony Shalhoub and Neil Patrick Harris. Um, and then I had a show called That's Life about a big Italian family with Paul Sorvino and Ellen Burstyn and Debbie Mazar and Kevin Dillon and me. It was it was fun. Now, you've, you've really worked, which I didn't realize, with some real heavy hitters. Yeah. I mean, that's what I did. I was an actress. And so I that's what I always thought I was going to do. Um, and I still sang. Like, I sang the theme song, I think, to That's Life and maybe one of the other ones. And then I had four kids in seven years. Okay. So, so where in this did you meet Terry? I met Terry when I was on Life with Roger. And how did you meet him? On a blind date. He loves to say it was a console, but it wasn't. By the way. <laughs> a console. Okay. Yeah, he always says that. This is my, this is my, any, you can look at pictures of me from age, like birth up. It's the same nose. They're the same cheeks. Like, I wish I still had that fat, big collagen face that I had when I was 23. <laughs> well, now I have it back a little bit because I've been eating a lot, but um, yeah, no, I haven't had plastic surgery. I'm totally not against it. 
just so you know. Well, yeah, it's um, given you that beautiful house and all that champagne. Yeah, man, bring it. I'm so grateful. But that's how, but so what happened was my girlfriend, Carrie, who was also an actress, she was dating a transplant surgeon. And I said to him one night, because I was dating a comedian, and oh, I was like- never good, never healthy. Not healthy, but really good guy, but not, not right for me. But anyway, so I said to him one night, I'm like, don't you know one Jewish doctor? Like one, is there any, anyone in your universe? And then I forgot about it. And he did, he knew one, he knew Terry Dubrow. And so, but why does Terry say it was through a consult? Does he think he's being funny? Yes. And does he understand that you're the funnier one of the two of you, or do you just let him run with this? I let him run with this. And unfortunately, television has um, uh, allowed him to think it is so. What he doesn't understand, I always go, you know, maybe, I always go, you know, maybe you should put an act together. Like, put it up on its feet and, like, see how it goes. And he starts laughing because I always tell him, you're funny because you're a doctor, honey. Yeah, you're not just funny. <laughs> you're a doctor. You're a doctor. Mm-hmm, Let's mm-hmm. not take that away from the comedians of the world. That's actually a skill. <laughs> See? What, okay. What was your worst job? Oh. Okay. There's been many. We all I'm, have had, by the way, we've all had many. Yeah. I, I mean, we had some really funny ones because my sister moved to LA with me and like we got, do you remember there was a, a company, I think it was in Westwood called the Job Factory? Yes. I do. And you would get weird jobs. Like you mm-hmm. could get jobs putting together toys at Christmas time. Or you could get, they just had odd things. So my sister and I got jobs. This wasn't the worst one, but we got jobs taking around um, Japanese students to the different sites of Los Angeles and they didn't speak any English. So you could, just, so you could just make shit up, right? Right. So they would be like this. They would write you a list and they would have to pay for like wherever you wanted, wherever you went, they would like, if you were going to Disneyland, they would pay the admission and whatever. And then you would take them around and make sure everything was handled. And they gave you a rental car and the whole thing. So whenever they put something on the list, like if I didn't know where it was, because I had just moved here, if I didn't know where it was or it sounded boring, I'd be like, oh, closed. It's closed today. <laughs> I would learn like just a couple of words. It was funny. But my absolute worst job, which I can't tell you what it was, but I was on a set. And um, so when you're an actor, they number the call sheet. Mm-hmm. And so like the star of the show is number one and then there's number two and number three. And to some people, this is very important. And like, if you're no one on the show, you're like seven, eight, 12. Sometimes there's 22, you never know. One line or a walk on. And so we were on the set and when you're on a sitcom, it's very, you know, it's, it's sort of like a group discussion. Like it's very collaborative and everyone well, talks about, let's well, try What people this. don't understand is you get the script, then you have the table read Mm-hmm. And the writers keep writing and changing. And then the next day, you know, depending on what shoot day you have, you do wardrobe, blocking, blah, blah, blah. And you're being handed pages simultaneously. And then during rehearsal, things change. And that's where it really Excellent. becomes collaborative if you have a showrunner that's not a psycho and, you know, has given birth to every word perfectly. Exactly. And so, and, but I'm pretty much like, uh, I'm a rule follower. And if you write it, I'm going to make it work the way you've written it. And if it's not, if it doesn't work, then you talk about it. And so because you're doing like this major play within a five day period of time, it does change all the time. So a lot of the actors and the producer, the director, you sit around, you go, Hey, let me try this. Let me try that. It's called rehearsal. Right? So we were sitting, (laughs) we were sitting on the set and we were having such a, this kind of conversation. It was a sitcom. It's funny. Okay. So it's funny thing. And everyone's like, what about this or that? I'm like, what about this one? And I said, I, I don't get that. And so this actor um, said, could someone 
uh, please find the call sheet and show Heather who's number one and who's number five. Ooh. Yeah. This person's still very successful, but you know what? It just goes to show you, I mean, it, it, the nice guy doesn't always finish first, <laughs> but um, you know, be kind. You just never know who, just be kind to everyone. I mean, any show I've ever been on, like I've always known everyone's name. I'm sure you're the same, you guys are the same way. Like, you know your producer's names, you know the, 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 the PAs, you know the, the DGA trainees. I was shocked when I got to Housewives that there were some women on the show who didn't know anyone in the crew's names. Which, and I'm going to transition to that. By the way, that was cold. Show Heather who's number one and number five. That's... Yeah, that was, that was just... Wow. That was just That was just wrong. But how did you end up on Housewives? Exactly. But by the way, just to wrap up my number five story, I will tell you this. Like that, what sucked about that was that I loved my job so much. And you know, it's so hard to get on a show, to get it on the air, to make it successful, that to hate what you do when it's so hard, it was just like the worst. Well, and we've all, we've all been there where you're like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. Totally. And, you know, it also happens a lot with like when you're dealing on a producing level, which you know as well. Sometimes you're dealing with executives that you're just like, oh, I can't deal with this. You know, I was. But there's still protocol and they're still being nice. And yeah, people get mad. Not and always. We all say stupid <laughs> Not always. I've had, I've had some pretty rough conversations uh, uh, along the way, both directions. But, okay, you but, guys, but you guys know that this can be the nature of the business. The business. Absol- yeah, absolutely. But as long as we're trying to fix the world, can we work on this too? I mean. Yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. So to how did you, so Sabrina said, how did you get on Housewives? Okay, so here's what happened. So I, I, I'll tell you like the little bit of the longer story, only because I don't usually say this part. But what happened was I had had three, so you know I have four kids. Right. I had had three children, and so there was no Coco yet. And what happened was the, the way that Housewives works and reality show works is that they call local people. They call plastic surgeons' offices. Mm-hmm. They call high-end restaurants. They call this how casting works. And they go, hey, anyone cool come in there that you think would be great on the show? And then they start calling people. So they had called Terry's office and wanted to see if I'd be interested. Now you understand, I have three children under the age of three years old. I am oh living God. in feces. All I want to do <laughs> is get out. Are we allowed to curse here? Of yes. duh. I'm like, fucking of course. all I want to do is get out of the fucking house. Terry, like, tra-la-la's to work on Monday going, I don't know how you do this every day. Yeah, I, exactly. So Terry goes, you know, there's this show. And at the time, if you were a scripted person, you didn't do reality because this was like the last nail in the coffin. I didn't care. Get me out of this house. Put a TV show? Yes, ma'am. I want to do that. I had no idea what the show was, just so you know. Never seen it before. This was before Beverly Hills was even on the air. This but I remember the original Orange County. This was, all right. So origi- So this was actually the year they hired Alexis. So you know around what year. Right, but because they did the original Orange County, then they did Beverly Hills, and the original Orange County kind of withered, and they did all the other ones. Then they went hardcore back into Orange County. And for people who yeah. don't live in California, Orange County is a very um, wealthy enclave where it very, very sort of conservative, we, you know, it's, it's in LA, we call it the great white wall. 
We call it behind the orange curtain. I was or behind, yeah, or behind. The, that's what I was trying to think. It was behind the orange curtains. Yeah, it was like because I always say, Terry, you know, I was transplanted from New York to LA and then dragged down yeah, to Orange County. You don't seem like an OC person. I'm not, but you know, I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in Chappaqua, so I understand the suburbs. And this to me is the suburbs. But but basically, what we were doing was we were going back and forth between LA and Orange County. So I'd get a show picked up, we moved back to LA. It would get canceled, we moved back, back to, to Orange County. County. Okay, and so. They called Terry's office. So they called Terry's office and I'm like, yes, yes, anything. So I, so I interviewed for it and our house, we were building a house here, not the one we're in, but the, the last one. We were building this house and it was like under construction. So I had my designer come over and set up like a corner of the room to look like a living room. And I did a full interview for Real Housewives of Orange <laughs> County. And then I had a meeting with the executive producer and they were like dragging me along. And then I, finally, I, cause it's the no that never comes. But then finally one of them did call me and say, you know what, at the end of the day, the network felt like you were too New York to be in Orange County. And I considered that a compliment, but I was like, I was like, oh, okay, whatever. So I tell Terry and he goes, oh, thank God. And I go, <laughs> I go why? And he said, oh, this show is terrible. They fight and throw things at each other. And I'm like, and this is the show you wanted me to be on? Are you out of your mind? Okay, so cut to a few years later, I've now had a fourth surprise child because three were IVF and one was au natural. Who knew you could get pregnant by having sex? Not me. Um, but It's so amazing I, how that works. It's so weird. It was like not my thing. So And it was a dry spell, so I don't really even know how this whole thing came about. But so now I have four kids and Coco is like, I don't know, six months old when this process starts. And we were pitching a show about opening a restaurant, me and my girlfriends. And we were like going to LA and doing these pitches and we had offers from everyone. The problem was they wanted our... Um, show our restaurant to be like fully functional and almost operational before we even rolled a sizzle. And that was like, you know, they were missing the point. We wanted to have a show about totally inorganic show about us opening this restaurant, but it was fun and whatever. In my travels, I met Evolution, who produces Real Housewives of Orange County and Beverly Hills. By now I had seen the show because we were friends with um, Adrian Malouf mm -hmm. and Paul Nassif. So I had seen the show. I knew what it was. I understood the format. I'd never seen Orange County, but I, I'd seen Beverly Hills. And they called, they came a call in again. And I was like, a hundred percent. No, absolutely not. I have now had four kids. I intend to go back to being an actress. I need, no, I am not doing this. I no. And so Terry basically didn't speak to me for two weeks because well, remember, he had done The Swan. He had done Bridalplasty. You know, yeah. cheesy reality was like totally in his wheelhouse, number one. And number two, smartly, he understood that the landscape of television had changed yep. and that this was a very good platform, especially for him. I wasn't sure it was a good platform for me, but it was definitely <laughs> a good oh, platform for him. It was free advertising. Totally. So, I mean, you want to be booked for the next 10 years? This is the way. Exactly. You've got people so, flying in from all over the world. All over the place. So I, we didn't talk for two weeks. And finally, I'm like, you know, fine. If you need me to do this show so badly, fine. I will do this. And then he got scared. So he shows me this scene of um, a party and Tamara's throwing wine on Gina Keogh and, and then Brianna's in the corner going, I thought this was a classy party and all this <laughs> stuff is going on. And... I am hysterically laughing. And Terry's like, why? I thought you'd be horrified and like run out of the room. And I said, no, I get this. This is like a satire. It's a Christopher Guest movie. I can do that. Clearly he <laughs> forgot you were a New Yorker. 
Right. Hello. <laughs> Hello. So how many days a week did you film? It's a lot. People don't realize this no. is like a full-time job. And so oh. I did full-time. Yeah. And I'm asking, I mean, I know the answer, but I, I'm curious for your show. Also, like on The Apprentice, we did one episode every two days. So you worked Monday, you only had Sundays off. So you would do an entire episode in two days. Then you would do the next episode in two days. And How it many was, months? How many months did it you It wasn't. It was, what, Sabrina, eight weeks, six weeks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. six or eight weeks for mm-hmm. an entire season. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is like, if you can imagine, same thing, you get a day off, but unless something happens. Right. Right. Well, see, okay. that, that, we experienced that with our reality show. We went yeah. through that same thing. It's sun up to sundown. Oh, and yeah. And we were doing fashion police at the same time. Oh, yeah. Life still happens. Yeah. But I mean- I think what's hardest about this particular reality show is how you, it, it, it's exhausting mentally and physically on so many different levels. And you're playing this weird game of not knowing what the heck's going on with any, it's just crazy. It's just insane, but it's like a four or five month shoot ish. And ish. so ish sort of depending. And it doesn't really go like by episode because the algorithm is for every 30 hours you film, 20 minutes makes it to the air. So when you think about like all those wasted, uh, you know, outfits, the time, the conversations. And that's why one of the funniest things was after the first season, because I was still like, wasn't my normal weight because Coco was like eight or nine months when I started the show. I hadn't shopped and that, you know. Right. So I had to like keep running out and like buying clothes and they pay you nothing the first season. I mean, like literally I made for the entire season less than I make in one episode of scripted television. They pay oh, you nothing. Absolutely. And absolutely. no one lends you anything once you're on reality. I mean, no. for me, they didn't. No, by the way, no, they don't because everyone, all the designers are like, oh, I don't want to be affiliated. No. no. And I honestly know why, because I've watched so many reality stars take the wardrobe from photo shoots and I'm like, this is why they won't lend you anything. Right. It's don't not yours give to it keep. Back. Right. Well, but anyway, um, I digress. So it was so it was very, um, very intense. And you basically don't see anyone else in your life for those four or five months. You see your family that you're living with and that's it. And it's exhausting. And then you do pickups. So they start to put the show together and they say, oh, like there's a, we're missing this or this doesn't make sense or she needs to explain what she meant or something like that. And so, you know, it would drag on and on and on. And then, of course, the reunion. So, I mean, I really feel well, like- Well, and also have- people don't realize when they do pickups, you have to put back on the same clothes. Yeah, usually it's not pickups like that, like scripted, where you have to, you know, match continuity and all that. It's not that. It's like um, they have to add things because things aren't understandable. So the, it's like a whole new thing. Right. It's a lot, man. But I, I remember Tamara, she taught me after the first season. She's like, so this is what I do. I buy all these clothes at the beginning of the season, and then I just use them. And then at, at the end of the season, every year she'd go, I hope we're ending soon because I'm running out of wardrobe. I'm like, <laughs> it's down to sweats. And then you had to be careful where you wore things because you knew most things wouldn't get shown. So you had to like use the impact outfits for when there were more than two wives there. And did, were you friends with any of them beforehand? mm are you friends now? I, you know, I talk to Tamara and, uh, you know, we text every now and again. I don't really live near any of them. Um, but 
You know what? I, the way I feel about it, it, to me, it's like a sorority. Like if I run into someone, if I run into Vicky, we hug. Well, not right now, but you know, we hug and say hi and how are the kids and what's going on. And I, I just feel like it's a big sorority and I don't look back on it and think, wow, this sucked or that chick was a bitch or this sucked that this happened or I did this. And I, I just kind of like, I have a very nice kind of revisionist history of just remembering like the really fun things and the girls trips that I had never done before being on this show and just like things that I never would have experienced. So I think about those times. Which is very, you know, half glass, half full. Yeah. What made you want to say, you know, I'm done? I mean, it was just very organic, to be honest with you. It was five years and... Which is, by the way, we did our reality show for, what, four years, Sabrina? Mm-hmm. Four and years. It's, people don't understand. It is a grind. Yeah, it's a grind. And it wasn't creatively sort of where I wanted to be anymore. The show had changed, too. Um and I felt like what was fun when they brought me on was the fact that I was this, you know, sort of Jewish liberal New Yorker in this sea of like conservative, blonde, you know, right, you know, Orange County girls. And it was fun. And then the show got dark for me. And I think without even realizing it, that last season I was on, I was just I constantly pulling back, pulling out, just it was ready to be done. The other thing is, you know, you got to think about your kids. So my kids, when we started, were little and they weren't on it very much. They'd run in. It would be funny. There was one episode that was so funny at the high holidays, which we just had. Yeah. Reminded me of Coco really young. And we went to temple. And so, you know, everyone's fasting and, you know, my family really doesn't fast. Um, but we, you know, you're in temple, you know, you don't eat while you have a yeah. snack while you're sitting there and everyone's fasting. And there, there's always a teacher on set when there's a child. And so she didn't know. <laughs> and she kept a hand, you know, those little, those little snack cups that they used to stick their hands in with the plastic. So that yeah. they, she kept hand. So Coco was running around the temple, which made for great television, but the woman kept handing her the cup of snacks. And so she's walking around with snacks and in the middle of Yom Kippur. Oh, it's so bad. But anyway, <laughs> so, but the point is they were young and it was cute and whatever. But, you know, when we left, they were entering, you know, those teenage years, which I felt like, I, you know, part of the decision was I can't make that decision for them. Right. And it's funny because now we're, we're in sort of development and talks to do this show about perhaps our family and what's mm-hmm. going on right now. And so it, it was a family conversation because it's been off the table for years. And right. now that the twins are about to be 17 and Kat's 14, Coco's still young. She'll be 10 in December. But it was a family conversation about like, well, how do you see yourselves and what what, what, or what would you be willing to do, not willing to do? Because if they nick something, we wouldn't do it. Right. Cooper, Cooper was over it by the end because it was um, infringing on his life and his time. Yeah. And the, and we get very cringy to them, which I understand. Yeah. Totally. totally. I mean, it, but, but it, it is, it's such an interesting, I mean, I always find it so interesting that people really do not realize how much of reality TV is set up. So I wouldn't say that Housewives is set up. What I would say is this. 
I, cause people are always like, is it scripted? Is it this, is that? I'm like, no, these are like real people with real emotions. I mean, yeah. Do things get heightened? Cause you're all in this boiler. It, I mean, but it's like yeah. the apprentice if you think about oh, it. Oh no, or, very much. you're in this crazy pressure cooker. Yeah. You're in this bubble. It's just like big brother. It's yeah. like survivor because you're, even though you're not in a literal bubble, you are in a bubble and you, there's alcohol involved and, and, high, and emotions are heightened and, and this whole thing. But at the end of the day, you're still filming a television show. You do need to get together and every Everyone knows we're going to take a trip, you know, like right. these things, like ha they happen. And so it does have to, the show has to be produced, but I never felt, um, except for this one person um, who's no longer with the show, I never felt um, any pressure to do something, say something, nothing like that. Yeah. And I, I, you, I, we have a very good friend who work on all different shows. What I don't think what people also understand is a lot of the emotion comes from exhaustion. Yes. That you it's are like torture. literally, and I know that with The Apprentice, you were so tired. Mm -hmm. People always say, what's the hardest show you've ever done? I said, the, by far, The Apprentice. Because you are working literally, we would have even when make you, Even when you did The Jungle? Oh my God, so much harder. Really? So much harder because you literally were in hair and makeup at like 5.36 in the morning. And you were working until 9, 10 o'clock at night. And that was on the task day. And then you had to finish the task the next day and then changed and do boardroom. See, here's so it was, you were literally, you got one day off a week and all the women used to get really frustrated at the men because our only time to do any kind of maintenance was, was the one day, day a week. So it's like, you didn't even really get that. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so true. And so you're exhausted and you know, that brings, that makes everybody more emotional. But I'm telling you, it's that reality component and it's because it's so mentally exhausting. I, I mean, I remember being, when I was on That's Life, um, I was in almost every scene of the show. So right. I literally worked for 17, this is before I had kids, but I was working for 16 or 17 hours a day sometimes. And then they'd give you your turnaround, they'd force your call. You didn't really get the 12 hours. You're back at eight hours. And as exhausted as I was, I was skipping to work. I was fine. I was, you know, like excited to get there and, and new scripts and the whole thing. And so fun. And even though, yes, this was a few years later, I did have a lot of kids. That's exhausting in and of itself. But there's something about that emotional component to it that makes it even more exhausting. Don't you think that's why The Apprentice was more exhausting? Absolutely. Absolutely. It never... You never got a good night's sleep. Mm -mm. You ne because you always had an eye on the clock, or your brain was going, or you know. And you're also an you're also anxious. Yeah, you're on edge. You're, you're on, on edge, edge the whole time. You're on edge. And, but like you said about not being able to see your friends, and we had that with our reality shows because my friends didn't want to be in the show. Right. So my you know. family, my family wouldn't be on the show. So the, my first season of Housewives was so horrible because. I had a baby. My, I have four kids. The youngest is a baby. And um, w my family refused to film. They were so horrified that I was doing this. I mean, my mother, my father, my sister, my aunt, my uncle, until it like became successful and a thing. And then it was like, my mom would be like, don't you want to put one of my paintings on your wall? I'm like, really? Oh, now it's okay. <laughs> it was awful. I cried so much. It, it's, it's hard, but you have taken, 
your acting success, your singing success, and your housewife brand. I mean, I was talking to Sabrina about this. You have as many ancillary businesses <laughs> as, you know, my mom did. So, I mean, I made a list of starts. So you've got, you've got books. You've got skincare. You have Heather's Closet. You have Mr. and Mrs. Guinea Pig. You have a deal with Evite. What am I missing? I mean, seriously. Oh, and your podcast. Yeah. So I've been doing my podcast for over five years. We actually, I missed the hundred million download mark. I don't know why. I got no balloons, no champagne, Sabrina, nothing. Um, We're at like a hundred million, 500,000 downloads, which is pretty cool. So I've got my podcast, my YouTube channel. I really enjoy the YouTube channel. I've taken a pause on it. I have to figure out where it's going next. I wanted to to start showing, we bought um, a piece of land in Idaho. I think I was telling you this. Yes. So So we're building this house and people are, they're very interested in the homes that I build because I do it myself. And so I'm, I think I'm going to morph it into that thinking about it. Um, and then, yeah, so Terry and I have written three books together. We've got consult beauty and health that we sell on shop HQ. And uh, we have a show set up at E that we're waiting to hear about, which is kind of cool called seven year stitch. And you know, then there's still four children in the house, but there three of them are back at school full time, which is fantastic. Right. But I I, so you're, but I mean, I was like, when I was scrolling around, when I was looking around on your, on your, uh, website, your deal with Evite, how did, that's so, fascinating. Okay. So that was a while ago. I'm not doing that anymore, but it was a really cool, I think that the, the company Evite is such a cool, interesting company. And I was such, um, a, a stationary snob, like a, like an invitation snob. I like a real invitation. Yep. I, you know, the whole thing. We do too. I, I really we went too. in kicking and screaming. But when it was right as I was leaving Housewives, I came up with an idea to do this, you know, how to celebrate with Heather because I like to throw parties and I'm kind of known for the cakes and the party thing. And so we did this fun collab together. Yeah. Celebrate with Heather. It was fun. It was a good time. I may go back and do something like that again. I don't know. You know what's cool about you know, this environment that we're in today is that you can create content so quickly. So some of it is very daunting because I don't really move at the speed of millennial or Gen Z with how they learn all the new apps and everything. But um, I I do like things done yesterday. So I I do enjoy creating new content and and figuring out new ways to be creative. The one that I loved um, of of sort of your creative outlets, and I don't know if you're still doing it, Heather's Closet. Mm -hmm. Will you explain that? Because I think that is, I, I feel like between we should combine this because between your closet and my closet, we could have a very robust business. <laughs> okay, well, Heather's Closet started out as my YouTube channel. Okay. So I originally called it Heather's Closet and I was talking about fashion, all these things, and it turned into a vlog and then a house tour. And in the meantime, I developed um, a clothing line called Heather's Closet. And so I've been working on this. And of course, trying to launch in the middle of a pandemic really is not the best time to try to sell clothes, but they're great. And it's a full line of bags and shoes and, and apparel. And it's been so fun. You know, I've been offered to like throw my name on things for years and I just don't do that. I really don't do paid ads. I really, I mean, every once in a while, but only if it's something I actually use, I'd rather just, right. and, and most of the time I'll just post it and not get paid and just be like, I love Twizzlers. Like, yes. I, don't really, I don't know. I just, I don't do that kind of thing. But you know, for me, I don't want to slap my name on something that I wouldn't use, wear, drink, 
whatever. So I, the creative process of actually designing and going to New York constantly, and it was, it's just been so incredible to do. I really just have loved the process. But you were, the thing, the part that I saw was you clean out your closet and you, people can win stuff. Yeah. So on the, on the YouTube channel, what I was doing was like, and I still do it every once in a while. I'll do a giveaway. Like one time I gave away, um, a dress from a reunion. Okay. And I had everyone write in and say like, why would you want it? And, and you know, where are you going to wear it to? And it was so great. And the gal that got it was just so lovely. And I was thrilled for, you know, things have been, hadn't been going great. And, and she was sort of on the rise again. And it was great. I loved, I loved that. But what I find so fast is you're so smart and so funny and so lovely and have had this incredibly varied career. And we do know a lot about your personal life. But what I always want to know is when the cameras are gone and it's not a work thing, what do you and Terry fight about? Oh, um, we... I mean, I'm single. I don't have anyone to fight with, but they own vo- my own voice is in my head. Yeah, well, I fight with myself too. Um, we fight about... We don't fight about money. We don't... We, you know what? Terry and I fight about stupid shit, to be honest with you. And that's what's great and horrible about it because we're really good partnership. We had a, a year that was no bueno um, when we were on housewives and it, it really got bad to the point where he had, like, he was just doing botched and he was like feeling himself and it was a very hard year for me on housewives and he wasn't being supportive and he was over housewives. It was like, it just kept building and building. And I finally had to say to him, look, either I get off the show or we fix this because you know, I'm not losing my marriage for, for reality television. And we got through it really well. Um, Did you go to therapy? We didn't, but I wish we had because I, you know, and we still talk about it now that we'd like to, because I think it's so smart. It's just such a good thing to be able to talk things out. Um, With a referee. With a referee. Yeah. But I would say the one thing that we've done, well, we've been able to manage to survive the reality show curse, but also I think as the years have gone on that we've been together almost 25 years, that Which we- is insane. I was yeah. just getting ready to ask how long. Well, because yeah, Sabrina, all- what are you, how many years are you, Sabrina? We're 27. Yeah. That's awesome. We're 27. Did you get married when you were four? Oh my gosh. Pretty much. We've, we, we, we talk about it all the time. We grew up together our entire adult lives. See, we came from a different place because we, so I met him, I was 27 and he was 38. We're like 10 and a half, a half, 10 and a half years apart. So funny. So, um, so we're, but like 10 years apart. So he, to me, seemed old. Like he was like 38. I was 27. You know, it seemed old. It was like, you're almost 40 and I'm in my twenties. That's like a big difference. But the truth is we both were adults. We had careers, we had bank accounts and money and whatever. So it was, it wasn't like we were two kids, like just starting out fresh, which I like because I feel like I would have been too young to make the correct decision before that. Um, But we've really, like you were saying, Sabrina, like we, we not grew up together, but we have formed a really great partnership together. That we have too, because we, my husband and I are seven years apart. I was 25 and he was 32. And so you evolve together. You, you know, you, you have your adventures, your experiment, all that good stuff. Yeah. And you know, it's a crapshoot. I mean, it's a leap. Sure it is. You just don't know. And you don't know how they're going to be as parents, how you're going to be as a parent, how you're going to handle the shit times. Cause everyone goes through them. Yes, it's, we do. Everyone does. And this, you know, marriage is something you have to work on every single 
day. And I don't think, I don't feel like you should stay married forever if it's not meant to be. If it's not meant to be, everyone makes mistakes, things happen. But when you're in the right marriage, Mm -hmm. you have to work at it. There's still shit days, shit months, weeks, years, all of that stuff that you have to work through. Um, So what do you guys fight about? We fight about, um, I, I would say... Or is it more irritations that boil up? Yeah, it's more irritations or on, to be to be totally honest. If we're out to dinner and like one of us is tired, cranky, irritated, and there's like two glasses in and you, you know what? That's not a good moment. But we really don't fight about anything real. We don't fight about the kids. We don't fight about money. We don't fight about like where we're gonna go. I, we're, we're very compatible. We just fight about stupid shit if we're tired or stressed or anything like that. But we've gotten to the place where we know each other obviously so well that I we can walk away from each other or I can go, y- you know what? That's so wildly inappropriate that I'm not even going to respond to that and I'm going to move out. Or he'll be like, this isn't the right time to discuss this. We will talk about this tomorrow. And we both go zip it and move on. Now, well, what like- do you love the most about him? What makes your heart flutter? <laughs> he... Um, it's funny with Terry, you know, everything's a thing with Terry. Like he's jokey and he's silly and all that. But every once in a while, he will get serious about things and we'll be out to dinner and we're really good at date night. We spend a lot of time together. We like being alone, honestly, more than ever being with other people. And he'll take my hands and he will look in my eyes and he will speak to like literally my soul. And it's not all the time. And it's not every day where it's like, oh, and you don't believe it anymore. It's like in those moments where he is that moment of love for me, that moment of gratitude, and he just needs me to know it. I, that just. That's it. That's the cat's meow. Totally. I mean, we're lucky. We, like I said, you know, we knock on wood. We have a great sex life. We're we're happy. We're we we have fun together. We laugh a lot together. I'm telling you, even when we make plans, the rare times we make plans with other couples, on the way there, he'll look at me and be like, 10. And I'll go, what? He'll go, ten thousand. I go, what? He go to not go. I would give ten thousand dollars. <laughs> He sounds like my husband without the money component. (laughs) But you have had, you're raising four children. And I think, you know, you've been very open that your daughter has come out as bisexual. Mm -hmm. And I personally think you guys set a great example on how to handle this well. Because I think a lot of people don't necessarily handle dealing, especially because now everyone is in such a place where they're so open, where people's children are making these kinds of decisions very early on in their life where it's constantly changing. And especially in a lot of areas, it's still a very hard thing to process. Yet you guys have been very public about it. And I think set a really good example. How, how did you get to that place? Because it can't be easy as a parent to know that your child has been struggling with something or is making decisions that might not give them the easiest life. Right. So many answers here. My, I've always felt my job as a parent is to raise healthy, independent, functioning humans. And whatever falls into this category, 
that that's my intention. I came from a really nice, but very um, buttoned up 1950s, doesn't talk about anything, mom. You know, we didn't know what our period was. Like, you know, we had to learn on the mean streets of Chappaqua. But yeah, I, the mean streets <laughs> of Chappaqua. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like, totally. It's, it's like crazy. the mean streets of Brentwood. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't mean at all, but we didn't know anything. And so right. I am the polar opposite. I'm all about diarrhea of the mouth, feelings, talking, everything open. Um, and so from a very early age, we've always been very open about um, sexuality and all kinds of things. And, um, you know, we have lots of gay friends. Terry's uh, brother is gay. We, so it's, it's never been like something that like, just we sat down and talked about one day. It's like, you know, it just is what it is. People love different kinds of people and that's fine as long as you're happy and respectful. So um, I had known that Max uh, was bisexual for some time. She told me, you know, long before that. And when she told me, I didn't even miss a beat. She was like, she told me, and, and um, I won't sort of divulge the conversation that's for her to tell, but she told me and I said, yeah, great. I, you know what? I want you to be happy and I want you to live the life you want to live. And, you know, this is the age where you figure things out. And so when she decided to actually publicly, publicly come out, it was funny because, so I didn't tell anyone. It's her business. No one else's. It's her story. It's her story to tell. And when she's ready to tell it, that's her job. So I hadn't told anyone. Not even, I, honestly, I hadn't really discussed it with Terry either. I think he had surmised it, but I don't, think, but we had never had the conversation. Anyway, so I came in the house one day, I have my bag on my shoulder. I walk in and Max is like, hi mom. I'm like, hi. She goes, did you see my post? I'm like, no. She goes, I go, I'll, I'll see it in a second. He goes, no, 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 go look at it. So I pick up my phone and I look at her post and it's, you know, she's got this um, rainbow flag wrapped around her and her caption is, I always knew I was bi, I just thought it was bipolar. And so I'm laughing because uh, by the way, I got so I got a number of comments that that was inappropriate that she wrote that. Again, that goes to a totally different subject. <clears throat> okay, but you I know just instead saying. of celebrating that this young yeah. girl has has at such an early age is comfortable in her own skin, mm -hmm. we have to criticize how she expressed it. But that's exactly. a whole separate conversation. Because it was about mental health. By the way, she's in therapy and um, she has anxiety, and she is a very big proponent of helping um, having everyone be mentally healthy. So just so you know, anyway. So I see. Her and by the way, that was a funny thing to say. Yes, it was, it was clever funny. and funny. And she's clever and funny and sarcastic and great. And, I, and so I saw it and I laughed. And I was like, that's great. And I said, hey, can I repost that? And she goes, yeah, sure. And I go, wait, you can, why don't you think about it? Because if I repost it, you know, it kind of goes out into the world in a different way than if you do. And she looked at me and she said, I go, do you go think about it? She said, no, 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 it's totally fine with me. Go. For some reason, she needed it to all be out on the table. This is what she wanted. Um, she wanted to be free. She wanted everyone to know. She didn't want to have to think about it or answer questions about it. So I reposted it and all she cared about was like what I was going to caption it, <laughs> like <laughs> as if it wasn't going to be good enough, quite frankly. And so I reposted it and I still had my bag on my shoulder and the dog started barking. So I put my bag down. I went to take care of the dogs, sort of forgot to um, let my mother know and my aunt know and my sister know. And so they all found out like from People Magazine. Oops. Oops. You know, with the few seconds we have left, I, I, I don't even know how to ask this question. Spit um, it out, Melissa. Do it. Spit it out. Not like you have any free time. What's next? 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So I'm building this house in Idaho, which it was really easy and is now having a few problems. So I'm dealing with that, but I'm really loving the whole design process. It's just filling that creative hole for me. Um, Heather's closet's still going. The Fa the fashion line's still um, going. The supplements and the skincare is all still going. Terry and I have this show, Seven Year Stitch, that we're waiting to hear about. And I have this talk show that I've been working on with E um, for a while. It got shut down with the pandemic, but um, it sounds like we should be back up soon, which I'm hoping. Uh, and What's it about? That, it's a mom-based talk show. It's pretty cool. We had it on and then everything got locked down. So um, it's a mom-based talk show that is really cool and fun and diverse and timely. And I really feel like now more than ever, we need that community Absolutely. to be having conversations about what's going on with our world and our kids. And, and it's not really a show about kids. It's a show about moms. Right. Heather, I cannot tell you how much I have enjoyed talking to you today and how much I enjoyed being on your podcast. And I know we keep saying we're going to get together next oh, time we you are. come to LA. So will you keep me posted and you will bring Sabrina or you and Sabrina can go and have champagne, and then I'll pick you guys up and drive you somewhere. <laughs> oh, we're, 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 we function just well, Melissa. Thank you. That's right. <laughs> you fun. are an absolute joy, and thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank yes. you guys so much. Thank you.